0: Hello, and welcome to the Almost LA Podcast. My name is Aiden.
1: My name is Audra. my name is Ellie. Ellie's back.
0: (laughs) All right, well, I ran out of money this week, completely. (laughs) Money, food.
1: You're just gonna plow right into it.
0: Yeah, gas, couldn't take my car anywhere. I was irresponsible.
1: You were irresponsible. First of all, what did you learn this week?
0: What did I learn this week? Mm -hmm. This week I learned that once I get more money, at the start of the next month, I'm going to not spend it on anything because now I'm scared. <laughs> and probably to not eat out a lot and go to like, on like hour and a half long drives every weekend, it's probably like the kicker, you know?
1: What did you spend most of your money on? Do you wanna tell the Chick-fil-A? need Chick-fil-A, to know?
0: eating out, definitely Starbucks and oh, yeah. gas.
1: Okay, did you read the I sent you your month credit card bill? So, wow. Aiden has a limit on his credit card, and he had mm-hmm. money that he worked, that he saved for, what, three, four years from the gas, he worked at a gas station. No,
0: from the El Rancho and then the gas station. Yeah, now, so at the right.
1: grocery store and a gas station for all yeah. of high school. And you started school in October, and you plowed through all that money, mm-hmm. and it is now gone. Mm-hmm. And then you ran out your credit card monthly pay like, stipend. Yeah. <laughs> Okay.
0: <laughs> so it was the 20th of the month, and I ran out of money completely. Yes. God, I had to bust the checks out, which is awful, because I you didn't walk know- into, like, the Vons, like, in a jean jacket, and, like, I have chains on and stuff, and I'm 19, they're like... They're like, I'm this like, check's bouncing my check for, for, for sure. for $68. They're like, uh, can please leave? One lady, like, wasn't going to let me, like, she just wasn't going to take my check. She's like, oh, you signed it in the wrong spot. And I was like, well, that's completely...
1: Wait. You Bullshit. took in your old gas station check Or did you take your no, checking account check I
0: took my checkbooks
1: Oh okay I was yeah, confused the way you said <laughs> it So, What do you mean a $68 check Oh cause that's what you wrote for groceries Yeah cause it was oh, a $68, I see. $68 okay. thing
0: no, yeah. So I took the check in and I gave it to her And she was like oh you wrote this wrong And I did not write it wrong And then I pulled another one out And then the look on her face was like oh Like she thought I didn't have another check Like oh. I found it on the ground or something And then I pulled another one out like it exactly the same, it And then she took the it
1: ground. All right. Well, yeah,
0: I know they just didn't want me to purchase anything.
1: Okay. So how many times did you go to Starbucks in a 20 period day?
2: Well, me and Aiden go to Starbucks every morning. I Mm -hmm. usually (laughs) only get a drink on Thursday. Aiden gets a drink. I think
1: every day. I (laughs) counted. I counted in a 20 day. Let's see. Well, it was counted. That's not cool. Oh, I went through your monthly thing and totaled up everything individually. Yeah. He also Uh,
2: likes to get an everything bagel.
0: Those are so good.
1: Oh, God. So Ellie, slap it out of his hand when you go.
0: Definitely don't. I like to eat it too Don't
1: much. even drive there. Don't even go to Starbucks. Star, it's called Star. So wait, how Star, many times did I hit Starbucks? Star all of Aiden's bucks are at Starbucks.
0: <laughs> how much money did I spend? Or like, you not know, how much money. I don't know. But that,
1: but I'm not even gonna, It it's, was an ungodly amount of money. <laughs> Your entire credit card bill almost yeah. went to Starbucks. It was frightening. Oh and God. you That's went crazy. in a 30-day period, you went to Starbucks 21 days whoa yeah, and okay. you were home for spring break
0: well I, I went to spring starbucks like every day when i was home too
1: <laughs> so wow yeah and, and what and ellie just told me a good story that you called me finally and ellie asked if you if if you called me for money yeah and oh, what yeah. and what did i say
2: <laughs> well i came to aiden and i was like so did you, did you call your mom and ask for money and he was like yeah I did and I said did she give it to you and he was like no and I said good for her and then Aiden gave me a look that said- and then
1: Aiden pouted in the only the way Aiden can pout yeah, well well not- what else the other mistake you made was you I still don't know what happened to your ATM card yeah. regardless you didn't have it because you have no money in it anymore because that's where you're whatever but you didn't call to even replace it
0: yeah so I
1: when money. I finally after a couple of days did send you money because I started feeling bad for you you couldn't even get access to it because you yeah. didn't tell me that you lost it and then also didn't call to report it or get a new one you just
0: yeah. Aiden I know <laughs> I did it I, but I did what it, I didn't know that but now I did
1: it <laughs> yeah it but it took, took like you it took weeks. about five days of me yeah. telling him to do it before he actually did it and so now it's going that, to take so tell yeah. the kids how long it takes you to get an ATM card after you lose it or replace, have to so replace you it
0: call I almost couldn't call like call them so i called them and the lady <laughs> was like asking for like passwords that i gave her like two and a half years ago when we opened the account and stuff mm-hmm. and then one of the questions she asked me was do you remember a recent transaction to the price and the date i was like huh, you're like no. starbucks <laughs> yeah i was like literally any day starbucks and, and, and uh, ice americano she's like it's going to be more specific than that and then i remember my sunglasses and i found the, the picture in my camera roll with had the date on it uh-huh. and i gave her like the rough amount and she was like yeah that'll work So I got lucky. But it takes about
1: seven to ten days to get your ATM card back, right? Yeah. Yep. So that was a good experience, right?
0: No. Yes, but no.
1: (laughs) And Ellie, you just told me that you didn't have money for a while and you had to eat mac and cheese.
2: Yes, I had to eat um, mostly mac and cheese and chips and uh, popcorn (laughs) for the past week. It's all good
1: now. I got groceries today and I'm very excited about it. (laughs) Yay. Aiden, what did you eat when you were starving? A granola bar?
0: I did the same thing. I had NutriGram bars left over. So when I woke up, I'd had uh, two NutriGram bars and then I'd get coffee and another NutriGram bar, Pringles, and then uh, those Nature Valley bars from the school. Um, And then for lunch, I would have popcorn with Cholula. I'm liking Cholula sauce right now because I have a bunch left over. So it would be popcorn. What's up, LA? and then more Nutrigrain bars and then um so I wouldn't eat all day and then I would get home and then uh my girlfriend would buy us groceries and then cook for
1: us. <laughs> I bet yeah. she's psyched she's your girlfriend of what yeah, a, no. like a month a she's, a month <laughs> she's <laughs> <paid>. <laughs> one
2: day he came to class with just like 5 Nutrigrain Nutri-Grain bars it yeah. was like this is what I'm eating today
0: <laughs> <laughs> God. and I didn't drink much water during that time period at all I mean,
1: that's yeah, all I think you had a Oh my God! Okay, well I'm sure.
0: Extra good when you're like starving, though. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, anything's good when you're starving. Well, and that's what a transition into what we're going to talk about today. Not a great transition in a funny way, but ironically, we're going to be discussing the Carpenters today. And if nobody knows, um, the Carpenters were a brother sister duo, and Karen Carpenter famously died of anorexia. Um, so yeah, she had tons of money and wouldn't eat. You had no money and couldn't eat. Yeah. There so there's a difference <laughs> and all of it's awful, but hers is awful er, if that's a word. Um, so our last episode, if you recall, which was two weeks ago, and I apologize for not recording last week, but I think Aiden was under such duress eating Nutrigram bars that we couldn't, we didn't, we didn't record <laughs> We'll call it the lost Nutrigrain grain episode that never <laughs> happened. <laughs> God. Those things are full of sugar, too, by the way. That makes me want to barf. Um, we mentioned how Missy Elliott, uh, about that music video that she shot, and she w- or she wasn't allowed to be in because she wasn't the right image uh, or didn't fit the image. Um, and they used a thinner girl. So I kind of, that got me thinking about Karen Carpenter, um, who uh, went through this, you know, became famous at like 19 and had this publicly horrible um, eating disorder going on. And then I was kind of looking at other celebrities that kind of went through stuff. And of course, you can imagine, I tried to find only musicians, since we're a music podcast, as you can imagine, there's a gazillion actresses. Um, but Jennifer Lopez told InStyle Magazine um, in an interview that early in her career, she was told to lose weight. Um, and now I bet nobody wants her to change because she's amazingly beautiful and perfect in every way (laughs) um kelly clarkson who uh famously won the first season of american idol and if anyone watched that you know she was just kind of like your typical girl next door Um, and she lost noticeable weight after winning the show i'm sure they put her on some kind of regime and and glammed her up a little bit and then after the birth of her daughter uh, this horrible, horrendous British journalist—I'm going to—her sh- name was Katie Copin Copkins. Um, she tweeted that Clarkson's weight. "Quote," she said, "Jesus, what happened to Kelly Clarkson? Did she eat all of her backing singers?" And then when people started criticizing <gasps> cool. her and saying, "Like, hey, she just had a baby," she further tweeted, uh, "You loud chubsters! Kelly Clarkson had a baby a year ago. This is no." no lost uh, this is no longer baby weight it's um it's carrot cake weight so she's a bitch I love carrot cake
2: (laughs) and no one's gonna stop me from eating it (laughs) that's so rude that's terrible isn't
1: that terrible and I'm wondering I should have looked this girl up I want she's probably never had a baby so I hope she gets horrendously fat when she (laughs) has a baby and then she has to take it all back and then in 2014, uh, Kesha opened up about her two-month stay in rehab for an eating disorder um, that she developed due to, quote, unrealistic expectations for what a body is supposed to look like. She stated in an L. U. K. UK article that she felt like it was part of her job to be as, quote, as skinny as possible and to make it happen. And she said she had been abusing her body for years. Uh, she goes on to say that she felt like a liar because part of her message was always like, love yourself, you know, don't hate yourself. Um, And she wasn't doing that at the time for her own self. And she said, quote, I wanted to control things that weren't in my power, but I was controlling the wrong things. quote. Keisha sued to get out of her contract with Dr. Luke, who was the um, allegedly dirty asshole idiot that was abusing her. Uh, She was claimed that she physically, sexually and emotionally abused her. And she said that he would bombard her with insults and at one point called her a fat fucking refrigerator. Yep. So Demi Lovato entered rehab for an eating disorder at 18. Mm. Um, and then Simon Cowell, when she was on The X Factor, when she was a judge, reportedly told her to lose 20 pounds before she got the what? gig. Wow. Yeah.
2: I remember her on Disney Channel, and I loved like her when she was on whatever show, Sunny with a Chance, and she was so skinny. And then she like started her music career, and she looked like way healthier after rehab, but mm-hmm. I remember she was like... On Disney Channel She was so like Small Almost scary Like yeah. thin Yeah
1: Yeah Well and by the way <clears throat> Let's remember that And that's that what
2: little girls look at And yes. watch Like I was yeah. a little girl Watching Disney Channel Like seeing her I don't Thinking was she was so cool But she was really like was sick Is there any
0: like Not like anorexic character In like the Disney Channel shows Could you could you think of one person That was like the main character Main girl or That's like way. a normal weight like, you mean Normal weight Other than idea. like Maybe like That's So Raven she wasn't like a snake but i think they probably
1: they probably put pressure on her too yeah but i think
2: she did like struggle with her weight too she's talked about it yeah
1: but by the way these are children and when you're a teen this is what drives me crazy especially teenage girls your whole body is changing you're getting curves and you kind of your weight fluctuates up and down hormonally and then you kind of grow into your body in your 20s so it's like yeah there's not much you can control and then you're just unhealthy and it just irritates me that men are like you're fat and it's like no I'm getting boobs you idiot like leave me alone it's so gross yeah you do it (laughs) leave me alone Yeah. and also it's
2: like fat men too are like like men that are like overweight are like you guys need to lose weight
1: what's going on here (laughs) speaking of fat men um, <laughs> Kanye West admitted to getting lipo because he was afraid the media would call him fat so that was wow. during his like rant when he ran into TMZ kind of thing I think if I'm remembering mm. that correctly I'm not saying I mean, he's fat now but for him
2: for saying it right and like yeah. being open and about it
1: yeah I'm sure there's a gazillion guys <clears throat> in Hollywood that get plastic surgery and get lipo and just don't you can't tell me that these guys who are in their 40s that have these perfect abs and don't have love handles or guts don't yeah. get pl- don't get lipo Yeah, please give me a break um, okay. I also knew I had a, f- a friend in college and this was in the 90s that had an eating disorder and he was an athlete and he was like purging after all his sports events or whatever or beforehand um, and that came out later and there was always kind of something weird about his habits after a game or before a game and then it kind of came out and I was like what dudes have that That was the first time I'd ever heard of it so it does mm-hmm. affect men as well so yeah. in fact 30 million people of all ages and genders suffer f- with an eating disorder currently and every 62 minutes one person dies from the direct result of some type of eating disorder or complications from an eating disorder this is in
0: the u.s. or in the world
1: this is in the u.s. okay wow yeah, that's uh the 30 million might be worldwide i don't know good question Aiden.
0: yeah that's like 10 percent of the U.S. population
1: yeah actually yeah that's what it is yeah wow okay. hey knowledge random facts <laughs> um okay and so just so we know anorexia is a um, i watched this documentary about the carpenter karen carpenter story called goodbye to love which was really good and then there's a, a rolling stone article from 1974 that i'll kind of reference later on and then just a few other uh, stuff that i just cross-referenced. but those are the main things that i used so in one of the in the karen carpenter story one of the doctors described anorexia as a psychological disease with biological signs which i think is a good way of Describing it because there is something Karen Carpenter, uh, we'll go into like the carpenters and all that, but she seemed to have an issue before she was famous, like just as a teenager with her weight. And her mom kind of put some stuff into her head about her own body that kind of transferred over to Karen, which is very common. And mm-hmm. but then I yeah, think really then the common. yeah, then the fame just kind of took it from there. So it wasn't really the fame that gave her the disorder. I think she would have had it regardless, um, but it makes it obviously heightened and worse. Um, So people actually believe they are fatter than they are. They diet, exercise, take drugs to lose weight. They throw up, which is the bulimia. Um, And it also puts an enormous strain on your heart, which is what actually ended up uh, killing Karen. Her heart just basically Mm -hmm. gave out.
2: Yeah, I have a friend in high school that uh, started having heart problems because she would not eat. She had anorexia. And she was hospitalized a couple times. And um, the first time, they were, like, really, really worried about her. And she went to rehab but her heart was failing, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like the, your walls of your heart just get weakened because you're mm-hmm. not nourished. You need... You
2: yeah, you don't get the nutrition that you
1: need. No. Exactly. It's very sad. Okay, so the carpenters, they lived in New Haven, Connecticut up until Richard was 17 and Karen was about 13. Um, and they moved out here because her dad got a job. Um, I think he... Th- I read somewhere he was a lithograph something. i do not really sure. The mom was notoriously kind of... Overbearing and kind of controlling, and so, and Richard was very Type A, um, which also people thought that Karen was more timid and whatever. Um, but he, Richard, it was just the two kids. So um, and Richard was kind of like a musical genius from the get-go, and and that music was always played in the house. And because he was so into music at such an early age, Karen was always around it. So she kind of followed her big brother around and did what he did. Um, and when they moved out to California. They settled in Downey, California, which is about 13 miles southeast of downtown L.A. There's a Canes Um, in Downey. Is that what is it called? The Canes. Canes. Is that the chicken place? Yeah. It's so good. So good. I need to go there. Well, I will put a pin in that because there's a couple places I'm going to talk about about Downey. I'm going to give you a little history of Downey right now, and it's known for its fast food and aerospace ironically fast food which we're going to be talking about which is weird and i was theorizing some things about the carpenters and her issue and maybe fast food being kind of born in that area in some weird way um but it was nicknamed early on as the uh, the orange grove city um because the youngest governor of california back in the day when it was kind of getting founded early on california his name was john downey which is that ended up being the city's namesake. And he was an Irish immigrant and he felt like oranges would be a good commodity for California and it would bring a lot of money in. So he brought in a ton of orange trees. So that's kind of where all the orange groves and stuff came from in California. Mm. The first Taco Bell was in Downey and it was basically the size of two, two car garage at the time. Um, And the third built, but oldest still operating McDonald's is in Downey and it's got the retro looking old school. Uh, look to it when we went to canes oh you did yeah <laughs> there you go um also uh bob's big boy broiler broiler broil, <laughs> broiler started in Downey. so say that four times fast bob's big boy broiler so you guys do you guys know the bob's big boy like mascot thing it's like a big tall weird doughy, it kind of looks like the michelin man but a boy with a big chef's hat on you're so both literally Bob's looking. Big boy, big Just look Bob. up Bob's like Big Boy. Like the
2: Pillsbury Doughboy, but like bigger?
1: <laughs> yeah, but bigger and look with a, a chef hat on.
2: Oh.
1: And oh, that started in Downey. You find it? So during the cool thing about the Bob's Big Boy, which I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah, was I know what that is. Yeah, so if you see a picture of it, you'll know what it is. They actually had those back east. And, and when I was in high school, side note story, when I was in high school, a senior in high school in Longmeadow, Massachusetts, we had a, f- a scavenger hunt like our senior year. And one of the things in the scavenger hunt, I don't know why this stuck in my head, was somebody was going to try to steal the Bob's Big Boy like <laughs> statue, which was huge, by the way. And I don't think it ever happened. but
2: That would have been an epic senior prank, though. Yeah. <coughs> yeah.
1: I think I we just mean, got lazy happy. and nobody did it. So part of the Bob's Big Boy thing, it was kind of like a drive-through coffee. So Aiden would have been there, getting <laughs> his coffee God. and eating fast food. You would have lived there. Um, right. But during the heyday of, like, the Hot Rods, there was, like, a cruise route. So they would start at this place called Custom Cars, which was, like, a a, a popular car hop drive-in restaurant, like, cruise thing. They would go to Custom Cars, and they would go to this uh, Greisinger's, now George's. And then they would go to Holly's, which was featured in Pulp Fiction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <coughs> and then they would go to... Uh, around Slauson Overhill, like roads and then into Downey and over to the broiler. So there was this whole like loop that they would do to do their like hot rod car shows and girls would stand around. And that's when you would kind of try to meet chicks and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. That's just what they said. So, um, and uh, I guess as many as like 3000 kids would participate in these cruises at night, which is crazy. And that uh-huh. was kind of a whole trend through the sixties into the seventies. And then there's also a really famous bakery there called Portos, which started in the 60s. This these this uh family from Cuba immigrated over when they got permission and they came over to Downey, opened up a bakery cuz that's what the mom was really good at and it's like a huge like popular bakery today, still there and the family still owns it. So next time you guys go over there, you should check that out cuz I've heard yeah, about we that. Go. Yeah. Um so and the aerospace thing comes in into after the bombing of pearl harbor aiden what day was
0: that december 8th
1: 1941 december 2nd 2nd right? Uh, 7th 7th i'm surprised i thought you were We're gonna nail that because when when you were a kid that's the only historical date you remembered every (laughs) december 7th you would come out of your room and you'd say pearl harbor was bombed today it was the weirdest thing (laughs) (laughs) like you were like eight nine years old do you remember that
0: yeah I wonder why I said eight.
1: I don't know. Well, that's because you're, you're starving. Sorry. I think
0: think it's because Dimebag Daryl died on December 8th.
1: Oh, so, so now that's, that's more important than Pearl Harbor in your mind? I guess. Yeah. Okay. So after the bombing, so uh, obviously there was a lot of widows, you know, because they lost, lost their husbands. So 60 widows responded to job openings in the aircraft plants around California. Their motto was, quote, keep them flying to avenge our husband's death. They were usually paid half the man's salary. <gasps> oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> but still, the government used them as inspiration for Rosie the Riveter, propaganda character that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, that place was called the Vault. The one in Downey was called Vaulty Aircraft. And they were the ones that employed a lot of women. And they were praised repeatedly in articles for having women employed there. But I couldn't really get any more specifics of if they just because they had women there or if women were allowed to move up there or if they had the most women. I'm not sure, but whatever. Um, So that specific uh, aircraft company in Downey produced 13,000 planes, um, which was one of the largest producers in North America at the time. That closed in 1999, and the aircraft hangars eventually became Downey Studios, which they filmed Spider-Man in, The Italian Job, and Iron Man. And that's my shout-out to Avengers, Endgame, r.i.p two characters i'm not gonna say spoilers i cried five times yesterday i, I haven't movie.
0: seen almost any of the
1: avengers movies oh my
2: god i saw the first one and the second one and the one where they like all fake died at the end is that the second one i don't know but I that's uh
1: that's infinity, infinity War War, or whatever so yeah i saw yeah. that one
2: in the theater but i yeah don't remember
1: so on twitter I, I kept seeing like all these people like i was 11 when they came out now i'm 22 or 23 because it's been like an 11 year kind of thing yeah and I was thinking about putting, like, I'm 46, <laughs> in the past 11 years, I've <laughs> changed my life. I would have been a humongous Marvel nerd. I kind of am now, but if I was, like, a teenager when that was going on. I don't know. Kinda. Why
0: didn't I get into those? It's the perfect timing for me. Oh,
1: my God. I don't know. It's really weird.
0: I, like, hate, the, I like hate them. <laughs> I don't like the movies at all. I
1: know, and it angers me. Whatever. Yeah, Let's move on, because I'm going to get mad. Okay. <laughs> Um, And so the studios were demolished, and now there's the Downey Promenade Shopping Center, if you ever see that. Mm -hmm. So the Carpenters moved there, and Richard, uh, uh, he started playing piano early on and studied at Yale um, at 16. And then when they moved out here to Downey, he decided to go to Cal State Long Beach. And he studied a vocal arrangement, and he actually played accompaniment on the piano for the choir there. And he had such a musical ear um, for... Everything that when he was in that interview in Rolling Stone in 1974, uh, he his ear was so fine-tuned that he said the radio station in L.A., K-I-I-S, he said their turntable was too slow. And then another radio station, K-L-O-S, was, theirs was too fast. So he could tell like the records weren't spinning at the right speed wow. on the turn. Isn't that crazy? Um, he was later considered somewhat of a producing genius as well. And so Karen's first musical love were the drums. That was kind of her safety place. And even when she got famous, she would show up in the studios early and like play drums before she had to sing or or, um, record or anything. And that was kind of her first love before she found the singing in the group and everything. And so when she got a little bit older and was better at the drums, still when she was a teenager and Richard was in college still, they formed the uh, Carpenter Trio with a friend who did stand-up bass. And in 1966, they won the Battle of the Bands, uh, which was televised at the Hollywood Bowl. And he also won, uh, Richard specifically won uh, an award for Best Instrumentalist that day as well. And they got a, also they won a RCA contract. So that was kind of the whole Battle of the Bands things. And everybody kind of heard from them because of that, because it was televised everywhere. And back then, obviously, there was only like three stations. So everyone was probably watching it. And so they got their contract, went into RCA and recorded a bunch of instrumental stuff because nobody sang. It was just the piano, the drums, and the stand-up bass. Mm -hmm. And then RCA was like, this all stinks. And they just trashed it all. And then Karen was like, well, wait, I'm starting to sing a little bit. Let me sing. And they're like, not interested. So they let them go. So then they decided to start a band called Spectrum, with a couple of their friends from Cal State. And they played for about a year. And they would mostly play at the Troubadour on a night called Hoot Night, (laughs) which I should have probably looked into more because it sounds cuckoo, but Hoot Night at the Troubadour. And the Troubadours was known for all these new up-and-coming bands or people kind of starting out. And I kind of think they still do that. Like the Troubadour and Whiskey A Go-Go, you guys should go. We saw
0: Black Pistol Fire there.
1: We did, Black Pistol Fire. They were awesome. That was fun. That was fun. Um, And at the same time that Spectrum was trying to get off the ground, Richard and his friend, John Batis, who would eventually be, uh, his lyricist and kind of be with him throughout the Carpenters thing. They worked at Disneyland and they were like the couple of kids on main street, you know, and the guys on main street dress up in like the ice cream, like soda pop jerks outfits. Oh, yeah. And they go around singing like quartets or duets or whatever. They were supposed to sing these old timey songs, but people kept walking up to him and asking him to sing like popular songs of the day. So they would, because they were like, okay. Cause Disneyland's about yes and okay and but they got yeah so they got in trouble by their manager and this guy named Mr. Gruder and they ended up getting fired and so they wrote a song later on that was on their first album called Mr. Gruder and I'm going to play it for you it's not a great song (laughs) but it's kind of funny to me because it's so something like you would think um some kids would write because the lyrics are like, you're up tight and, you know, like an accompany man, but it's the music doesn't kind of go with it because it's, as you'll hear, it's kind of sappy. You look like you're falling asleep. <laughs>
0: it's very Beach Boysy, kind <laughs> of, I guess. Yeah.
1: The, well, harmonies. Uh, yeah. the harmonies and the overdubbing, I think, because you will well learn later. Sorry, it's Mr. Guder. I thought it was Gruder because that makes more sense. So, some of the lyrics that I thought were funny, I think. What do you call it when people are like, uh, like when you're, is it like slam? You know, when you're like kind of slamming somebody. What do you guys, how do you guys say that in your roasting? teenage roasting? Roasting, yeah. So, <laughs> one of the parts is you reflect the company image you maintain their rules to live by shine your shoes let's keep a neat haircut now that you're wearing a coat and tie burn Mm. wow (laughs) it's it's so like 60s you know (laughs) i don't know it just kind of gets goofy but they were roasting the guy i guess and i'm sure he was like at his desk with his big cigar going why those kids i ought to get them (laughs)
0: Or maybe more swearing, <laughs> like actual swearing.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so at Disneyland, John and Richard wrote a lot of their songs on Pepsi napkins, which thought, I thought was quaint. And as I said, he became Humble. their... Humble. Humble, yes. He became their lyricist, John did. Um, Sep- Spectrum disbanded. and uh, And then so... Richard was like, screw it. I'm just going to do this thing with my sister. And he started to use all his background from music and his stuff at Cal State. And he created this harmonic blend um, with just the two of them with lots of overdub, which you kind of heard in that song. And uh, so eventually, he started going. So back then, when you had to get noticed, you had to make demo tapes and then literally go knock on the doors of all the studios and hand them to somebody.
2: Yeah.
1: And so that's what he was doing. He kept getting turned down. And he actually went to a and Records. Um, at one point was turned down at the gate but then like a friend of a friend of a friend ended up giving one of the tapes to um, Herb Albert who is the A in A&M Records and he was like love it come on in and basically gave him free reign to the studio and then also turned over a Burt Bacharach Hal David song uh, which became their first number one single called Close to You so I'll play that you guys will definitely know this song I am sure once I find it and babble through this whole thing. Hold on. Oh, not that. Hold on. Why can't I find it?
0: Dead air, dead air. <laughs> dead Sorry. air.
1: Wait, how do I find clothes? Do you? Hold on, Aiden I'm panicking. Aiden, just Aiden, Aiden, sing it. What's We've the song sound like? just begun. You've never heard mm. that?
0: Uh, well, I don't know. You only sing one line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Two. Ellie, sing it. <laughs> you've only oh, no no wait I'm getting my songs mixed up close to you close to you songs here we go yeah iTunes not it's Rihanna
0: attention is building
1: I do know the Rihanna one here we go the Rihanna, sing the Rihanna one <laughs> <laughs> Shrek Shrek Yeah.
2: On the song. Every time every
1: time Go ahead you and me <laughs> just like me
2: they long to be close to you. Why do stars fall down from the sky?
1: You're just happy. Ooh, that's Rihanna's close to you. No, just kidding. <laughs> that is, Carpenters. Little fun fact: it's not the Carpenters. It's Carpenters, hmm. because wasn't
0: that they song. Uh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, it's just because they thought it would be more edgy without the the. Which I thought that was funny too.
0: I'm pretty sure that song was in like Shrek or something.
1: Yeah, I, think I just that wasn't said th- Shrek. I yeah. just said that. You said I that. Sa- I said Shrek and then Shrek because I clearly can't talk. Oh, Shrek. Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when that song came out within like a couple months of each other they had two number one singles close to you we've only just begun and then an album come out so like boom 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 so they were all over the radio and everything peaked at number one um i don't know if close to you was but you know there's number one on the billboard they were number one on like easy easy listenings so when you try to search like they're kind of where were they number one where were they number two they kind of depending on the genre they were in you know it was like they were either number one or number two so they have all these credits it's absolutely crazy but they were huge but they still didn't have any money coming in because royalty checks back then were like super slow so they were living with their parents um and then within about six months after all this like hype of everything and everybody knowing who they were uh herb albert gave them a check for 50k and they like their heads exploded. And so their family had been you know, I don't know, they they weren't they didn't have very much money. Um they had very they lived in a modest neighborhood in Downey and like Richard would say that you know, they tried to accommodate anything musically they wanted. Like they got a piano, they gave her drums, but they couldn't afford like amps or like a mic mic stand. So it would be They'd get one thing and then their dad would have to earn the money for like over a course of a couple months just to get the next thing. So it was like building this stuff that they needed, you know, over a long period of time. So when they got that 50K, they immediately moved and um, they built a house. I think they built a house from what it sounds like, but they bought a house on the good side of tracks. They they famously said like there was definitely literal train tracks in Downey and on one side of the tracks was the wealthy people and then the other side of the tracks was poor people so they moved from literally one side of the tracks to the other side of the tracks with that one check
2: it's funny because 50k like wouldn't get you that much
1: nothing (laughs)
0: probably buy a car with that
1: yeah so they kind of became popular in 69 so i think it was in 70 when they finally got their first check so this would be 1970 so i'm going to play we've only just begun
2: Just because
1: So that's We've Only Just Begun. And that one was written by Paul Williams and Roger Nichols. So their first two big songs were written by other people. Um, And then later on, eventually, Richard and John would kind of get more cred with, like, you know, writing lyrics and stuff of their own songs. Um, So during this time, you know, Karen was, like, shooting to fame. Um, She was still early on playing sometimes at gigs, playing on the drums and singing behind the drums because that's where she felt more comfortable. And then at some point, they were like, the space felt empty in front because he's at the piano, she's the drums, and it's like, what's going on? Yeah. So they slowly tried to push her out in front, which I think led to her feeling super insecure on top of everything else that she was already feeling.
2: And she was young, right?
1: Yeah, she was 19 and 69 when they started playing. Yeah, that's so young. Yeah, so that's like... And I think in 71 is when they first got their, or the 70s. Is, so she was 20 when they first got their Grammys, which I'll read about in a second. So can you imagine, Ellie, right now you going up on stage at the Grammys? No. <laughs> you want to. I and would you'd love you'd love <laughs> it. You'd do it, but you would freak out probably. Yeah, definitely. So Karen was known as shy. She was the girl next door, very relatable, which added to their mainstream fame. You know, everybody kind of related to her, and they were like, oh look at this sweet like brother and sister. And there hadn't been really like a brother sister kind of duo or a duo kind of clean cut duo like that in a while. Um, so her one of her friends on this documentary I watched, he said that. Um, It it ended up being one of their music producers, Nikki Chin. They were walking down the street somewhere, whatever, and they ran into John Lennon randomly. And John came up to her and told her, quote, I just want to tell you, love, I think you've got a fabulous voice. And then he just walked off into the night, which seems very John Lennon. And Karen (laughs) later, when they were talking about it, she turned to Nikki and she said he couldn't have meant that. Like she just thought he was basically lying to her because that's how kind of like insecure and everybody loved her voice. And she just never really believed it. Um, So she like idolized Richard and going into the controlling thing at this point, people were really noticing that Richard and Agnes, their mom, were the two kind of like type A control, you know, people of the family and literally couldn't find anything on the dad. I think he was kind of like probably more shy and, and, you know, Uh, introverted and and was around you know but I didn't really hear anything about him and then Karen seemed kind of like more quiet like her dad even though some people also thought she was very diva-ish because she was so young and so so famous and wealthy you know within a few few years.
2: Sometimes if people are like shy or just like nervous people like will label them as a diva because they're like oh they Aren't wanting to talk to anyone but really they right. just are like don't know what to say they're so shy or yeah. whatever you know? yeah
1: they come off as aloof and people are like oh aren't they full of themselves and it's yeah. like no i'm literally shitting in my pants right now thank you yeah. <laughs> um so her mom going back to like her, her own body issues her mom kind of was had a, a bigger h- bigger hips which kind of ran in the family so her mom was always quoting like saying quote she was hefty in the butt which then became Karen's obsession was with her, her big hips so she was really tiny on top and then she didn't you, you can see her in some pictures she kind of had bigger hips and she was tiny on top which hello if it was today people would be like damn you're smoking She's thick, she thick she you know thick. but <laughs> Aiden just perked up hey okay <laughs> good morning um yeah so so she started being very careful about what she was eating in high school. Um, she was worried she was fat. And, you know, her. I don't think her mom really helped her out with that situation. So then they go into the 70s, and they were in, at the Grammys. And I'm going to read you. I think They won two awards the first time they went to the Grammys. I think they won um, Best New Artist. Uh, hold on one second. Okay let's see so in 1970 they won best new artist of the year and they won for best contemporary vocal performance by a duo and that was for close to you and they also were nominated for record of the year and album of the year for close to you then in 71 they won best pop vocal performance by a duo again and they were nominated for album of the year and then in 73 they were again nominated best vocal performance duo um, but I think the only Grammys they actually won were those first two that, that first year. But they were obviously consistently at the Grammys for the first, like, three years that they were around. Um, and then by the summer of 1974, after they cranked out all these albums um, and she was dealing with all this weight issue, she had been dieting, exercising, and she was at this point around 112 pounds I don't know how they knew this. This is from the documentary. And I don't know what she started at, but she looks thin all the time. I mean, I'll put some pictures up on Instagram, but she there's not a picture that she does not look like a child and thin. And I think she was about 5'4. So keep that in mind. She's about 5'4. Really yeah. Because I'm about 5'4. Yeah. So when she was about 112, people started complimenting her. This is the first time in her life that people were like, you look great. You look great. And all in the documentary, throughout the documentary even her close close friends were like you're too thin you look like a cancer like when they would talk about her weight even when they were worried about her it was like these horrible things they were saying but back then it was probably like out of concern but in no way would I walk up to a person and be like you look thin you look like a cancer yeah as like trying to as a helpful thing do you know what I mean so cancer
0: is also way more of a big deal now
1: well I don't think about it I think it was a big deal back then. I just don't well, think people were very and cigarettes.
0: <laughs> well. They didn't. Yeah, I guess.
1: Oh well, yeah, but you know, I don't know if I was out of fear, but it just seemed like even the people that were trying to be helpful, quote unquote, you know, didn't really come across as helpful. And she, um, and if she was that kind of self-conscious, that wouldn't have been received very well. I'm just <clears throat> assuming, you know, as a normal person. Um, so when she was 112 pounds, she was finally getting complimented and. This is when she's on the cover of Rolling Stone, um, in nineteen seventy four. And the article disturbed me in many ways. So I'm gonna kinda read you some, some snippets of this article. And there was very contrasting reports on how they described her, and then this they would is describe the Rolling Stone article. Yes, this is the Rolling Stone article. So this person who wrote the article, the journalist, so the quote about Karen Karen, right off the bat is, quote, Karen Carpenter, the solo singing half of a brother-sister musical duo that has sold over 25 million records worldwide. Keep in mind, this is 74, so this is five years after they started. Has classic good looks, but with something extra. It is the something extra that makes her interesting to look at, some unrealized firmness in her features, a womanliness she does not allow always allow herself to express. It comes out when she sings, and the emotion that makes her voice intriguing and be- beguiling so the only so her the adjectives are she's interesting and then she has unrealized firmness which does anybody understand what that is i have no No, idea what that means so if anybody knows what that is hit me up and let me know because i rack my brain about that and then she's got a womanliness she doesn't know well of course because she's a kid basically still yeah
2: was it like a do you know if it was a man that wrote this article i think it was a out man of curiosity yes I, like, it was a man so, it's so weird that they talk instead of about her music like about her features and her right like body that's so weird
1: it's very weird and this was the first paragraph and then they go on to talk about then he mentions that they're sitting the interview part of the interview they're sitting down to eat and he comments that richard is eating pasta and that karen is eating a salad and that she's quote as usual on a diet Okay. And then it goes into later on. So then it goes into this weird thing, which I'll talk about in a second, where he talks about her fame and how she was stalked at one point, which goes into a really bizarre story about her being stalked and then about her answering fan mail. And then it goes into Richard's musical genius. So there, and it just so compliments just Richard about
2: her personal life and then her right music.
1: <laughs> exactly. So here's the quote about Richard. Richard Carpenter is technically handsome, but really much more interesting looking than that easy term implies. His face reflects his sarcasm, talent, arrogance, and pride. His mere good looks are a product of careful grooming. He's a creature of his own design. And as as studiously as he has done everything else, Richard transformed himself from a gangly, short-haired, horn-rimmed music student to a chubby fellow with Prince Valiant bangs, then into a young, thin millionaire with a certain poise and a sea-bring haircut. What? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Wow. They like that guy.
1: Right. Even when they're like kind of saying like he was kind of a dork or whatever, they make it sound like he's transformed out like this butterfly right. coming out of a cocoon kind of thing. Like, isn't he magical? So then going back to like, then he f- focuses on this. I just wanted to kind of touch on this because it talks, it, it really shined a light on how stressful they were putting all this fame on her specifically, where she's like reading this fan mail of these children and you know that are like I come from a broken home my mom's remarried three times one little girl um mailed her a letter and said that her her brother was doing something to her and they didn't kind of go into it but it sounded like there was maybe some kind of abuse going on from a brother and that her mother was ignoring her and there was drugs in the family all this stuff and Karen's like I'm supposed to they're, they're wanting her to like they're asking they told her to write back to these people
2: and she's only what She's like in her early
1: twenties, and she's and she said in the article, no, that's exactly what she said. She's like, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what to say. This is a lot. This is bizarre that people are asking me to do this. She was like almost like, help me. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then, you know, and then she talked about how one girl wrote her, whose boyfriend died in Vietnam, so she wanted to kill herself, and she asked Karen, "You're the only thing keeping me alive." So she's like, "That's a lot of pressure." It was just crazy. Then they go into this stalking incident where, because she lived with her parents and everything back then was so public, um, this guy left her a letter at one of their shows, I believe in Vegas somewhere, or Reno or something, saying that like he wasn't going to marry his fiance because so, now he's engaged to her. So he fantas- he's, believes he's engaged to Karen Carpenter at this point. And they laughed off the letter. Ha ha ha. Well, this dude starts showing up at her parents' house where they live. He's outside of her house. He's in this GTO car. And this article has, like, humongous paragraphs on and on about this stalking thing. And they're like, and she's talking about it like, no one would help me. So this guy ends up, like, approaching her dad at one point. And he's like, I want to go inside and talk to your daughter. He's like, no. Then he comes back. And then he eventually breaks into the house. They find him inside. They arrest him. They put him on a 72-hour hold, at the, at, and then he comes literally right back to the house and sits outside her house for days in his car. They call the police numerous times. Police won't do anything because they're like, he's not breaking the law. What? And then he ends up walking back onto the property, screaming her name over and over and over again at a window. like They, they think that she thought it was her bedroom window. And then it doesn't say if they caught him. It doesn't say what happened to the guy. But apparently he got her address from the DMV, which you could do back then. You could call up and say, Hey DMV, where's Aiden live? Or hey, where's that whatever? Oh, wow. And they would give it out. So this was in nineteen in the early nineteen seventies and then this is way before I don't know if you guys know who Rebecca Schaefer is, but she was an actress and she uh, in nineteen eighty nine she was had been stalked for three years by this guy. He ended up shooting her to death in her doorway. He did the same thing. He found out where she lived. She opened her door to say hi, and she he gunned her down. And then he took off. And they found him later. So her murder, which was in '89, finally prompted the DMV to change the laws about giving out addresses. So now you can't do that. This isn't that long ago. And then, so think about this is like 11 years before you guys are born, or like 10 years before you guys were. This is crazy. And then it's the first time that it was. Uh, any kind of California anti-stalking laws were put in place was after the Rebecca Schaefer thing. So this was way before this. And at one point, the police said, why don't you just invite him in and talk to him because that's what he wants? And she said, this is crazy. I'm not doing it. But they were, f- but everybody in her life, even to the police, were trying to tell her what to do, again, and, and not listening. Like, if she said, no, I don't want to talk to this guy, they would make her talk to him. I don't want to write a letter. Write him a letter. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah.
1: Ugh, it was distressing. Okay, sorry, I'm freaking out.
2: I'm freaking out. So (laughs) also,
1: like Ellie's face is like,
2: what? Yeah, that's so so ridiculous. Like, it's ridiculous. No one would help her, Uh, like talk to him. No, no, thank you. No.
1: Well, and as we know today, that's what they want. You know, and that's not going to make them go away. You're not going to have a conversation, and then they're going to be like, "Thanks for your time, bye," and disappear. So the Chicago Sun-Times said of Karen that, quote, she's not gorgeous, but at least she's trying.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> what? Variety Magazine said, quote, Karen looks almost like a wraith. She should grow, uh, she should, ga- uh, wait, oh, she should dress more becomingly or something like that. I don't know. I, I screwed that up. Some spell check, script something. But obviously at that point she was so skinny they were commenting on how she looked terrible and should dress better, which I'm sure would help. So in 1975, they had already done at this point 118 shows in five months. Wrap that around your head. 118 in five months, five months. 118 shows in five months. <laughs> they were lot. running running them ragged. They said at some point they literally slept in a, hol- a different Holiday Inn almost every night. And they would travel. They didn't have three days to themselves ever in like years. So the pressure um, was on her, and she was, her dieting turned very compulsive, and that's when she started losing more and more weight, and they were asking, you know, and that's when she obviously came out behind the drums, and she was in front of people, and obviously as you saw from the articles, everyone in the press was just bombarding her, and then when you watch the documentary, even her friends and family were like, what's wrong with you? Just eat. Like, they just kept trying to put food in front of her, and make, you know, and she just, and it, it just wasn't working. So by September of 1975, she was hospitalized. she'd passed out, and they brought her to the hospital. She weighed 80 pounds. Holy she was five four, remember? And the, of course, the public thought she had cancer. Um, and she was supposed to go to Europe and Japan on tour, and the doctors told her she couldn't go, and she was like devastated and thought she'd let everybody down. and they actually lost millions of do- dollars from that tour, which was a huge um thing. And the fans were the fans were told by her management that she had a colon problem, which I'm sure she loved. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, that could be anything that just sounds terrible so in 1976 um in a promo video for their song there's a kind of hush she is very visibly thin so check that out she literally is skin and bones and fans were again shocked and her friends said she looked horrible she was too thin um and around this time Reader's Digest finally published a piece about anorexia nervosa and people were like oh this is a thing and that is when her parents actually saw the article and like I think the mom the dad saw it or somebody gave it to the parents and he brought it to their mom and and they were like this is what our daughter has and that's the first time in like 75 that they acknowledged that she might have an issue because before that they didn't they just thought she was being difficult I think Around the same time, Richard started taking Quaaludes. So everything's falling apart.
2: Yeah, Quaaludes are not good.
1: Yeah. Back then, I don't think. Yeah, well, they didn't know it was bad back then. So somebody gave him to the mom. They were prescribing it to his mother, um, which I didn't find out for what. They weren't talking about it. And the mother actually gave him his first pill. She said, here, try this. It'll chill you out. And then it was forget about it. I'm sure it did and to the point where he couldn't perform basically at some points he was just like a zombie um and so basically he didn't stop um and by the september of 1978 his drug addiction was so hard he couldn't perform and they were in vegas at the mgm where they were supposed to play 28 shows and he had to quit he just had to bail on it because he literally couldn't function so three months uh, later uh Karen had to go to London. She was supposed to go with Richard. He was actually too sick to go at this point. So now he's just MIA. And they had literally never been alone. And she had to fly, like, by herself and stuff. And she freaked out. And she lied on TV and said he had the flu. And they actually put her on the spot. She asked the producer, please don't ask me where my brother is. And the first thing out of the gate, you saw a clip. He's like, so where's your brother? And she is flustered and doesn't know what to say. And then is forced to, like, lie on TV. So that, like, bummed her out, too. So then Richard's so high, he falls and is hospitalized. He, like, basically knocked himself out and broke his face open or something like that. Something bad happened, and he was hospitalized. And then she has to go on somewhere um, and perform in 76, and, and she, she sings beautifully, but she is literally, like, gray. She's so thin at this point. So by 79, they're both in, like, big trouble. And he decides to take an extended break and goes to rehab. And Karen is, again, like, hovering around 80 pounds. And he decides to go into rehab. And so this all happened basically in their, the first four years before they kind of started, you know. So in that one period where they were played 8, 118 gigs in five months, at one point in, like, by 75, they had played over 700 gigs in TV appearances and keep in mind this is over the course of like five or six years so um, when she's 29 um, Karen ends up flying for the first time because she's been a star since 19 and basically with an entourage the whole time and when Richard goes into rehab she flies to New York and decides to do a solo album which she is, is something she always wanted to do and Richard wasn't psyched about it because, again, he was kind of controlling and didn't want anything kind of different from what they, their, you know, the money-making thing had been. And she, she uh, decides to pick Phil Ramone to produce her music. And he was a good friend. And his wife was actually one of her best friends at the time. Um, and at this point, she's now bulimic and also using laxatives and hiding laxatives all over the house where she was staying with them, behind the toilet, like behind chairs, behind the stove, in her purse, like all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and her, at one point in this documentary, they tried to take all the laxatives away and then they would find him again. And they mentioned that they were actually prescription laxatives, which I'd never even heard of. And, um, I don't know that, I don't think they ever discussed who was actually prescribing these pills to her, you know, the laxatives to her, but she, um, ends up doing this whole album by herself and Richard one of the things he said to her before she left for New York was he's like just don't do anything disco which is basically what she ended up doing (laughs) so she does this whole studio album and then around the same time Richard gets out of rehab and then he flies to New York they go to listen to it and she's all proud of it it's getting set to go out and he immediately criticizes it their image at the time was squeaky clean they didn't smoke they didn't drink at one point there was this guy that was like we went backstage at their concerts and they were literally knitting like that's what was going on backstage and so and Richard wasn't always thrilled with their squeaky clean image because at some point there was all these rumors that there it was incest going on because when they would photograph them and do their albums they would make them do these like cheesy Back to back thing, or like he'd be hugging around, portrait. yeah, like family portrait stuff. And then when you listen to the lyrics of some of their most popular songs, who are written by other people, and they're singing them to each other, it's about love and you know being in love with somebody. And so people kept reading into it and being gross. And and they were on the radio at one point doing an interview, and the DJ flat out asked him "Are you guys incestuous?" What the heck? And they freaked out. And then Richard, they just never did a radio interview again. But so all their stuff is squeaky clean. Even at one point they changed lyrics of something that sound too sexual to just make it more nice or whatever. And her solo album was very disco and talked about sex. So Richard like lost his mind and they basically shelved it and it didn't come out until 1980, 19, is it 89. And I'm going to play you a random song from there. Um, so she didn't even get to see it come out so this is Making Love in the Afternoon and it's a duet with Peter Cetera who is big it came out in 1996 wow so this is her from her solo, solo album isn't it
0: yeah definitely shouldn't put that out
1: (laughs) (laughs) I actually remember that when that came out because I thought it was kind of good 1996 yeah so she obviously never got to see that happen because they shelved it after nine months of work Um, and then when they shelved it her and Richard went back to making another album together and that was the album that came out was called The Carpenters so by 1980 she was not married had no children she'd date and then like somebody in the family would like destroy it or like her I think her eating habits kind of got in the way and things just didn't work out and Richard had never gotten married or anything at all either and but they dated here and there but things just never worked out um and so at this point too she was obviously not very well and she moved out at one point finally from her mom and moved to LA on uh, Avenue of the Stars kind of in in a condo apartment and she finally met somebody she kind of put out the feelers to her friends she's like I am ready to date I'm away from my family let's do this and she's in her late 20s almost you know 30 something at this point finally and so they set her up with this guy named Tom Burris and he was in real estate he was divorced and had an 18 year old at the time and from the jump everyone was like something's wrong with this dude her mom liked him which and she never liked anybody which is weird but everybody else was like this guy is ulterior motive something's going on um and red flag he claimed to have never heard of her he's like i've never heard of the carpenters now this is like (laughs) saying never heard of like ariana grande or something at the time you know he's like don't listen to that type of music no clue and everyone's like oh whatever and she was like oh my god that's so wonderful you know yeah so they decided to get married after just a few months and with agnes's blessing and richard was like go for it and apparently they had him checked out which according to the documentary meant that he had some of his own money because they wanted to make sure he wasn't trying you know screwing around and she definitely wanted children she's like he we are having children So, literally, right before the wedding, like within days of the wedding, he ended up telling her, knowing that she wanted children, that he'd had a vasectomy and couldn't have kids, and that he. And she freaked. And apparently. So, he's psycho. He's psycho. So, somewhere I read that he was like refusing to reverse it. And somewhere in the documentary, they said he was going to reverse it. But she was so pissed off that he'd lie to her that she wanted to get out of the wedding. But her mom forced her to go through with it. Uh. And so. The wedding was at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and it was, of course, the wedding of the year. It was all over the, you know, know, the rag mag kind of stuff and all over the news. And apparently on that day, she was very happy and was smiling and whatever. Um, But literally, everybody was concerned at that point about what was going on. And he quickly started asking her for money, of course. Um, and she found out that his boat and house were all rented. So all this stuff that it looked like he had, it wasn't really his. And then he ended up asking her for $50,000 for a business deal. And she was like, absolutely not. And then he later after she had passed, admitted that he'd had a ton of like real estate problems, but claimed to have loved her for real. And he wasn't actually trying to use her for money. So within like a year, the marriage was basically over. Um, And she was trying to keep up a good front, and she went on Good Morning America in 1981. And she looks very, very thin. Obviously, something's wrong. Her eyes are very sunken. She's tired. And she's talking about her husband and how she's married, and she's obviously faking it. And the next day, she performs on TV to promote her album, um, Those Good Old Days. And literally that same day as she's kind of like keeping up the front she had met with a lawyer and she had taken him out of the will completely and left all her millions to richard and her parents and only gave tom yeah only gave tom her house and what's in the house so she's like you can have this and just stay here but you can't touch anything else and then she basically moved out um and with the intention of getting divorced um but as you'll see i think she was just kind of too sick to deal with it and in new york in the spring of 1982 she decided to finally deal with her anorexia. I think her marriage was kind of like the final straw and she went to go seek help with a therapist um, who was a famed eating disorder expert named Stephen Levancron and she met him um, at his office and she weighed 78 pounds and she told him at that point that she was so weak that her heartbeat was irregular. So she was kind of had passed out a few times before and when when she was doing her solo album, she'd passed out at the studio and they called the ambulance but when the ambulance drivers showed up they recognized her and they were like oh my god that's karen carpenter and they were so afraid that they were gonna leak that she was anorexic that they turned away the ambulance and propped her up on the couch and just gave her some juice and stuff and and gave the guys money to not talk and sent him away What the? yeah yeah so she stayed with this guy and did like intense therapy um and he tried for months and months and months and tried to get her to eat and tried to figure out the source of her anorexia. She, the, he brought the family in at some point. And according to the documentary, he was trying to get the family to tell her that they loved her no matter what. And according to the documentary, I don't know if this really happened or not, but apparently her mom wouldn't say I love you to her. She just kind of was like, she knows, Karen knows. And when pressed, just like, just say it. Like, she literally couldn't say it. And Karen was, like, heartbroken. So then she ended up even – she gained some weight at some point. He thought she was doing great, and then she just kind of plummeted. And he ended up checking her into the hospital, and Richard was pissed, thinking that the doctor was making her worse, and he was kind of a quack. And they put her on intravenous nutrition for, like, weeks and weeks until she gained enough weight to leave. And she flew – she was like, I'm fine now. And so she – gained a couple pounds and flew back home and ended the therapy and ended everything and told everybody that she now had a quote an ass that she was proud of she told Dion Warwick that she'd look at my butt kind of thing because they were friends um and but she was still hiding laxatives and she went back to like purging um and, and she wasn't doing well so she was kind of lying to herself so, on February fourth nineteen eighty three Karen was staying with her mom and Downey, and she was actually still married at this point and she wasn't feeling great, but the next morning she had um an appointment to get a manicure and then f- go finalize her divorce agreement. They literally had everything written up, and all they needed was her signature to make it final and she's like, "All right, I feel okay, I'm gonna go do this um but before shortly before. Uh, 9 a.m. Agnes found her laying on the floor of the bedroom and she called an ambulance and within like 40, not even an hour, she was pronounced dead at the hospital of cardiac arrest. Um, and she was taking etamine, which is a prescription and nobody knows really who gave her the meds, according to this. Um, so clearly, I think Karen is... Kind of the pattern was she just felt like she had no control of her life and only could control what she could put in her mouth, which was the control over her food, which she chose not to do for whatever reason. Um, So somehow they finalized the marriage and, you know, her wishes like went through kind of thing. And within a year, Richard finally got married and he controversially married his first cousin. Um, what? Yes. Uh, he married his cousins, so she was an adopted cousin, let me say that off the bat, but they grew up together, and they have five children together, they're still married to this day, they actually live in uh, LA somewhere, uh. and Mark, the brother of the co- the woman he married, was actually the carpenter's road manager for a long time.
0: Mm. <laughs>
1: And how do you feel about the adopted first cousin marriage? <laughs> that's pretty not
0: cool. I'd say that's not chill.
1: Yeah, well, I guess if you're married for, let's see, they got married in 84 and they're still married, they're in their 70s, you know, I don't know. That's and she's adopted. Weird. It's not blood, so it's not illegal, but it just, just uh, they, a you know, weird. It's, just weird. it's a little weird. Yeah, it's weird. So Richard's doing great. Um, I watched a couple of interviews with yeah. him recently. Uh, He's off and the Quailins he's he was yeah after that first rehab thing he did he was completely clean went back to everything normal um and you can tell when he talks about her that he's he's emotional and it's actually really sad like you can tell he's probably not an emotional guy normally you know Mm -hmm. he's very stoic and it just kind of was sad you know because he obviously misses her and and according to everybody they you know they talked to they were actually extremely close obviously so it was kind of heartbreaking but he this recent thing that he's doing which i thought was kind of cool um, he was interviewed by the bbc breakfast which is a show in um, over in the uk um, in december of 2018 so just just this past couple months and he has put out a new album which is kind of a cool concept it's the carpenter all the carpenters hits the songs with the royal philharmonic orchestra Oh, and cool. in the clips they're showing, he's actually conducting the orchestra. So he rearranged all the Carpenter songs to fit with this, like, orchestra music. And he's conducting everything. And it actually was really beautiful, all the, the stuff that I had heard. So he's clearly very talented. Um, So his quote was, he says, I often think about the things we we could have done together. Um, and that he misses his sister, which I thought was really sad. Yeah. So that are the carpenters or carpenters know the so ellie yes what is your experience with moving from iowa and to california and feeling the need to do you feel the need to be skinny here more so than iowa or have you had any, like, body image issues moving out here or just in the music industry in general? Or do you just feel like it's self-imposed, like, I have to do this because everybody else looks so thin or whatever? I mean, you're tiny anyway. I Are only have no- I've known you from the shoulders up at this point. so.
2: <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, like, maybe it's just a freshman 15, but I have gained weight since being here. Like, m- like I didn't last year when I was at college. I actually, like, had, like, some – I like a little bit of weight loss when I was younger in high school and now out here like I know that it's if like you know the industry like puts pressure on you and stuff but honestly like just going to school and being out here and like right now like doing what I want to do makes me like just happier in general and so i kind of have like not cared as much about what I look like it's not
1: it yeah so it's not an issue right now because there's no one probably you know yeah I'm wondering if like when you get into the industry more if it will be an issue
2: right and also even being a producer no one like sees you (laughs) and um that's true being with like all boys I don't ever like compare myself to any girls because I'm never with any girls and I'm never that's interesting do you know what I mean so I feel like that might affect it too like versus if I was in the vocal program and I had to be on stage and it was mostly, you know, other females and stuff, I'm sure I would be, like, comparing myself Mm because that's just kind of, like, what you do. But I really haven't since I've been here.
1: Oh, that's good. Keep that up. yeah I hope that stays that way. So do you think that your friends are more, like, vocalists that are kind of out front and center? Or have they been dealing with anything that you've noticed so far?
2: I mean, not really, but I know that, like, the pressure to look... Good, like cute for school, and like
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I don't know, like being on stage does like affect how they feel about themselves because everyone's looking at you. Right. Um, I haven't like noticed anything.
1: Well, that's kind of like the weird situation with being on stage too. Is you know part of the business is having an image and you know promoting a certain image and. You know, most of that, unfortunately, has to do with the weight and how you look, you know, yeah. or your hair or your skin or, you know, whatever it is. So, um, you know, that's part of it, you know, but it's also what's healthy and what's not healthy or who's abusing their body and who's, you know, taking care of themselves, maybe through exercise or whatever. Um, or if somebody's pressuring you to lose weight, you know, when you're totally happy. You know, I I was reading this article uh, recently about how kind of fat the idea of fat which was their word i'm not saying that i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but that's changed in america and we have these like super obese people which is like now a term i guess or when you know yeah. and they interviewed a couple people that were like yeah we don't want to be this big we want to lose weight because we can't do anything we can't fit in airplane seats we can't you know go upstairs we can't do this and that so they feel you know like they're you know they're limited, you know, in their life, which mm-hmm. makes it difficult. And then you have this other group of people who, one of, one of the women called Lane Bryant fat, you know, where, like, they're bigger women, but they can wear cute clothes and they oh, can still yeah, go to Lane yeah. Bryant and they can still fit in a, an airplane seat. Like
2: plus size.
1: Plus size. And and most of them are happy because they're help, healthy, happy, and this is who I am. And yeah. so the, there's even kind of a, a, you know, a, within that community in different sizes, there's even some you know, difference of opinion about, you know, what's healthy, what's not, or, you know, w- you know, what they want to be like or whatever, yeah. which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, cause there's different levels cause it's not, you know, different categories of weight too, that, uh, you know, the medical field puts on people as well. So yeah. And there also
2: well, is like unhealthily overweight or just like you, you know, have a little bit more weight naturally, you know what I mean? Right. Like you're healthy, you work out, but you just you know are a little bit heavier versus like you eat like crap and you don't work out and now you're this size you know
1: right and then there's also skinny people that are unhealthy there's what they call skinny fat where it's like you can be real thin (laughs) and you can be abusing your body left and right yeah Mm -hmm. you know Aiden well you've Aiden's just skinny well Aiden's lost how much weight have you lost since you started school 10 pounds yeah and that's a lot because he's already small yes And at the when you were wrestling and you had uh, like muscle on you, you know how much how much more did you weigh? Not, I don't want to give you have to give your weight. I'm saying were you like forty pounds more than you are now? Or no,
0: I was literally like five pounds heavier.
1: Uh, but it was just all muscle.
0: Yeah, it's just it was just a, like a lean, fit, like healthy body, but you also body have to versus like, like
2: a, do a certain weight class when you're like yeah wrestling. You have to lose
0: weight. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. I, I bulked up after that. In the gym, I got way bigger. Right. I just probably looked, think, thought I looked way leaner because I was more cut during wrestling. But after wrestling, <coughs> I got I gained weight, muscle mass, and then I lost it all when I came here. And so I'm just skinny Do
1: you do you feel like I just think you always look tired because I know that you're a lot thinner than you normally are, and I think it's stress. You know, because people get stressed some people stress eat, and some people stress and weight just falls off of them, which is clearly what's happening to you. Yeah. You know. Um, do you not, do you feel like you don't have any energy or anything?
0: Yeah. That's so why I drink so yeah. much coffee.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Cause I wake well, up and I'm I, like, well,
0: I can't do this today. So I did yeah. like 18 cups of coffee.
1: Do you guys find with Instagram, like I, you know, having got on Instagram recently and then now with the podcast being on Instagram and just kind of flipping through and, and going into that world as, you know, being middle aged, I, you know, I'm like comparing myself to probably. 20 year olds not knowing how old anybody is and being like wow I really need to get my shit together right <laughs> and, and there's it's,
2: like a new wave of like Instagram models and like fitness accounts and I don't really go on Instagram that much but I have seen my friends Instagram feeds and it's like all Instagram models and I true. it confuses me so much because I'm like first of all that's just boring to me I don't give I don't really care right. about these girls like whatever their fitness I'm not working out so why do I care but right. um, <laughs> my friends will follow them just because they're like I want I want to look like her and I'm like that's I don't know it's so unhealthy like just to it, go yes. on your phone all like constantly because yeah. everyone's constantly on their phone and to open it yeah. up and just scroll through pictures and pictures of all these different girls that like get paid to look like that
1: yes they have personal chefs they get paid yeah they literally have all day to work out cause yeah that's their exactly only job.
2: that's their job
1: like Yeah. And it's, you don't know who's had plastic surgery at some point, who's who's being, whose body has been sculpted to look a certain way. You know, that's just what scares me or, or filter or lighting or whatever it is. You know, the two biggest things that I can't stand are all the, you know, the, the comparing the body. It's like the fitness models are just, you know, people in their bathing suits in general who are, you know, which be proud of your body. I get it, you know, but I think it just puts a lot of added stress on especially teenagers and women in general and I'm sure men who are going through the same thing there, there's got to be I'm sure Aiden you've got to go on Instagram and, and compare yourself to certain male models or whatever musician, whatever you're looking at mm-hmm. it's just the but the, it's a bummer because oh, even the makeup tutorials bug me because it's like this contouring makeup and heavy makeup that people are putting on their own homes just to go out in their town is like this is stuff that you should be wearing at a movie set Yeah. wipe wipe your face off you are naturally beautiful some of these girls look so beautiful before they even start all this stuff that it angers me that they're not just believing in their own inner beauty and natural beauty it bugs me so I, I just feel like it's unhealthy to sit in your home it's one thing to go out in the world and then be like walk down the streets of LA and be like oh he's hot she's hot oh look at that because that's the industry and the area you're in where you're going to walk by 150 beautiful people in one day probably yeah it's another thing to torture yourself at home in the comfort of your own home you can't even relax it's like
2: no yeah you can't like escape it anymore
1: you can't escape it's like in your face the minute you wake up in the morning and before you go to bed so it's just it's I hope that goes away and that culture kind of somehow works itself out because it's really scary to me that having kids growing up in this situation, I mean, I didn't, I when I grew up in Iowa, if I did not eat everything on my plate and I wasn't a good, you know, size eight to 10, then something was wrong with me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I wasn't healthy. You're not eating. What's wrong with you. Are you sick? You know? And then when I moved, you know, and I, in my twenties, it was, Oh, the door's about to open. It was, um, you know, I was like, oh, there's people that are size zero and two. I didn't even know that existed. Um, yeah. So, it's like you didn't yeah. eat
2: all day. I haven't eaten in two days. so.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I just want to throw out there, since we've been talking about eating disorders and stuff, that I looked up a couple associations that people can call if they need to or look up on the Internet. There's the National Eating Disorder Association, and their phone number is 800-931-2237. And there's also the National Association of uh, Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Eating Disorders at 360-577-1330. Uh, and that website's anad.org. And I will post that on Instagram, too, if anyone needs anything. And thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. Thanks
0: for watching.
1: Thanks for watching? I guess. I'm a this tired. is not a TV show. Yeah, thanks for listening. I hope no one's watching this.
0: <laughs> Except for Seth
1: yeah well yeah somebody just seth just walked to say hi seth hi all right thanks for joining us again ellie yeah
2: anytime
1: okay thanks for listening guys instagram twitter almost la plug it plug it thanks guys peace out